Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode number 37 of the Reinventure Me podcast. Well, what happens when one looks in the mirror and doesn't like what he sees? Today, we're going to be talking to Patrick Morley, the man who literally wrote the book, Man in the Mirror, 25 years ago and sold 3 million copies. Find your next great beginning. Welcome to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Well, hello and welcome to episode 37 of Reinventure Me. This is the podcast where we talk about what's next in life. And Armin Asadi and I had an opportunity to interview a man who went through quite a remarkable transition. And can't wait to share that with you. And I want to do that right now. Well, Armin, we have a special guest here today. And I have to tell you, I've been so much looking forward to this interview. Um, not only because this is a man I highly, highly esteem, hmm. but it is an opportunity for you to get to know this man as well. Yeah. And uh, for me, it feels like I'm I'm making a, an important introduction here. Not I feel only it. not only between you and him, but I hope between the audience and him as well. Yeah. You- you're not the most excitable person. I've been excited for a couple weeks. I have weeks. been looking forward to this. You know this. <laughs> you know this. I've been saying, okay, you're going to make sure we're got to be here because this is going to be the thing. Uh, friends, I want to introduce to you uh, Patrick Morley. It's, it's my privilege to count him among my friends, to count him as a mentor, uh, but even more so really to have learned so much from him. And I think I've been transformed just by not only his words of wisdom that he's written in many books, mm-hmm. uh, but his personal counsel to me, mm-hmm. uh, sitting in his uh, beautiful home in Florida mm-hmm. and interacting with him. It's a highlight for me to get to see him every year at the National Coalition of Ministries to Men Conference. At least I didn't get to see him last year, but I, I hope I get to see him again at our upcoming conference. Patrick Morley is the author of Man in the Mirror, a book that uh, really became a landmark, a, a real change. I read it long ago. I was looking for my copy recently, Armin. I was going to give it to you, and somebody took it. <laughs> right. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul saying, can you bring back my parchments? And I have no idea who took my Man in the Mirror book, so I really feel bad about it. I'm going to have to get another one. But Pat Morley wrote this book. Back in 1989, sold over 3 million copies, and he has written quite a number of books, 11, I think, since then. Wow. Um, And overall, more than 6 million of his books have been distributed all over the world. Patrick Morley, welcome to our program. Thank you, Larry. Armin, so good to see you today. Uh, Should I say, so good to hear you today. Actually, probably the people don't know that we're actually looking at each other on a Skype call, even though this is an audio podcast. Oh, and that's a real extra treat for me too, because yeah, it's almost too, like uh, being I love able... you, buddy. Yeah. I love you too, my friend. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I want to just, first of all, we got a special thing coming up here for you. Uh, the 25th anniversary of your book is going to be coming out. Yeah. Where did 25 years go? <laughs> 
My so, wife says the days go by so slow and the years go by so fast. <laughs> yeah, very well said. Yeah, it's it's uh, so interesting. So my colleagues have been after me for uh, 15 years to you know revise and update the book, and I've kind of resisted. And then you know, 25 seemed like a nice round number. So, but I still wasn't sure it was a good idea until I started reading the book. And I saw how outdated all of these oh, illustrations were. Yeah. And so uh, it's probably the one thing that I've done that has worked the best, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in terms of vocational things. And so I didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, so I did. I basically tried to leave those early, raw, plain spoken, direct sentences alone. Uh, and then changed illustrations. I did add a little bit of material, you know, I changed some things around, but basically I, what I wanted to do, the subtitle for the book is solving the 24 problems men face. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to take a fresh look at those 24 problems for, uh, really a whole new generation of men trying to figure out manhood in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I am one of them. So I'm glad you did. To be honest, I never heard your name. I never heard of your book until Larry started talking about you. And then I researched you. And then I started asking, why haven't I heard of you? Because this is important information, especially for someone like me. I don't know. Uh, we, we just met, so you don't know that much about me. But I actually got saved through a men's ministry. So when I hear about what you have done for men for so many years, and it's such a personal subject for me because um, I, I think that's the only reason I'm not in prison and I have freedom and I know God is because of men ministry and you have impacted so many churches and so many men in so many different places that it's, uh, it, it was, I almost felt dumb not knowing about you or your book until I met Larry. There's time for everything. And now we know each other. So praise Amen. the Lord. Amen. <laughs> like you were saying, I mean, before we went on the air, when Larry, uh, Larry was out of the room, you know, he's a very intentional guy. And I think that that's basically the, the key to, Sticking with something for a long time and then steady plotting, you know, just each day, you know, you push the rock a few inches and then after a while it sort of adds up. Right. Yep. I agree. Well, back in 1989, when you wrote Man in the Mirror, you probably had no idea, Pat, where that would take you. Three and a half million copies sold later. Is that right? It's interesting, Larry, because the book, it's the men's book that almost never was Mm. because uh, Mike Hyatt and Robert Wagamuth published it. And they had a warehouse full of books. Nobody wanted it. It was DOA. Mm. (laughs) And so, but those two guys really, by God's grace, believed in the message. And plus they needed to sell the books if their kids were going to eat. And so they got uh, busy and came up with this really crazy idea. They got a hundred Christian bookstores to give them the names of their 100 best pastor customers. So that's 10,000 pastors. They got the bookstores to give them their letterheads, and then Mike and Robert actually uh, sent letters to these 10,000 pastors offering them a complimentary copy of the book if they would come into the bookstore, good for the bookstore, pastor traffic relationship, and then uh, and good for the pastor, they get a a good resource uh, to help their men. 7,000 pastors took them up on that offer. Wow, that's wow. Is that, Yeah, is that crazy? Yeah, they probably don't do that so, anymore, huh? <laughs> so that, then they started uh, talking about it from the pulpit or, and getting their elder and deacon groups to go through the book. And then, as they say in the industry, the book got legs and, and took off. 
had it not been for those two men and their intentionality, I mean, mm-hmm. and their persistence, their steady plotting, it may have, been, it may have never happened. Right on. Now, there's, a, there's so much that this book has to say to men, and you're going to be updating that, as you said, here for the 25th anniversary, which is coming out in October the... October 7th. Oh, October 7th. Yeah. And that book, I know, will continue to inspire men in years ahead, but you came to a lot of those principles through your own personal experiences in the real estate market, right? So yes. let's back up, because this podcast is really about what's next in life. And I thought it might be interesting for our listeners to hear some of the story behind the story, some of the transformation that you went through. I'm kind of curious when you sat down to open up a blank sheet of paper and write those first words that became man in the mirror, had you envisioned what what became of it? And, and what were some of the things that you, you went through to get there? Talk about that transition. Okay. So a little bit of a short background. I grew up in a Christian home where we didn't know Christ, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah. And my father was doing the very best he could, but it didn't work out. I quit high school, uh, long story of family uh, troubles, a brother that died of a heroin overdose, uh, employment problems, drug abuse, divorce. Um, But by God's grace, I met Patsy and she led me to Christ. But I had a plan for my life. I really knew what I wanted to do. And so basically, I began to love God and love money. You know, I was trying to have the best of both worlds, basically. Mm. And that went on for about 14 years. And then one day, uh, I realized that some of the other guys around me, they were not getting the same results from their faith that I was. And I, I was kind of reading the Bible with an agenda. You know, so I created a fifth gospel. You know, I'd see a, a verse I liked and I'd memorize it or underline it. I'd see a verse on the other page that went in a direction I didn't want to go, and I just sort of smudged that one out. So, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Pat, the gospel according to Pat. <laughs> and so, uh, but so I was kind of like reading the Bible for comfort and the Wall Street Journal for direction. So it was, uh, <laughs> right. I was really pretty confused. And I called a timeout. I thought it would last a couple of weeks. You know, I'd get everything figured out, and uh, then I'd get back on track. You know, I'd be uh, a real trophy for God, you know, lucky God. Now he has me fully on his side. Imagine how much he's going to be able to do with me on his side, you know. (laughs) And so it's like the Lord said, you know, I really think you're serious here. But the problem is you've given me so little to work with. I need some I need some time with you to build some things into your life and to build some things out of your life, your character and so forth. And so uh, I spent the next two and a half years staring at my navel, reading my Bible, staring at my navel. There were no men's books to speak of. And um, uh, I I ran across a verse. uh, It's the third seed in the parable of the soils. The seed that fell among the thorns is like the man who hears the word. And I was reading the Bible uh, all the time. I was eating it up, uh, the parts I liked, you know. Yeah. And so... The seed that fell among the thorns is like the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, and boy, did I have them. You know, I'm trying to build this uh, big business, and uh, my I wake up at 2 a.m., bam, you know, my mind comes on, I'm up for the day. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of money, and I was a materialist before I became a Christian. Nobody told me I should not be a materialist, so I just sort of continued to, to be a materialist, a little bit of a happy inconsistency. <laughs> and then the Bible says, 
the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. And I said, that's, that's it. That's my, that's life. where you got nailed. Yeah. And so I realized that what I needed to do was uh, just completely surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, mm. uh, which I did. And I wrote in the front of my Bible, I want to live the rest of my earthly life for the will of God and really meant it still do. So then, then I thought, okay, well now, okay, two and a half years of this and, you know, we're going to be off and running and, um, no, not exactly because three months later, God passed a tax law just, just to get my attention. Mm. And then I spent the next seven years waking up every day, not knowing whether or not I would be forced into bankruptcy. And I was in the middle of all that. Simultaneously, I had just started this Bible study that I still teach, the Man in the Mirror Bible study. So I was basically just telling the guys what I was going through and then what I'd been reading in my Bible that week about what I was going through and what I felt like God was telling me I ought to do about it and saying, you know, what, what do you what do you think? And so it just took off. And so I did this series. I called it The Problems of Men because boy, did I have them. And uh, that's what ended up becoming the outline for the book, The Man in the Mirror. So I taught this material at the Bible study. Then they asked me to teach it at the church and then someplace else. And then the Lord began to speak to my heart and say, you know, I want you to put this into a manuscript. And I said, oh, man, I'm so strung out. I mean, that is the last thing that I have any time to do. But uh, that idea kept coming for about six months. And then finally, I felt like, you know, I was going, uh, going to be disobedient not to at least try to put it into a manuscript. And I didn't know, but what I, I was prepared that what the Lord really wanted me to do was to put that down on paper for, for my own sanctification. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm have too much larceny in my heart to leave it at that. So I tried to find a publisher, you know, <laughs> and then these two guys, um, Mike Hyde and Robert Wagamuth heard about it through a friend and picked it up. And, uh, and then, and then the rest is the story I told earlier. You know, you're, when, as you were telling me that story, I remembered one of the stories you told in one of your books. I don't remember which one it is, but I think it was an African pastor that you met that commented that over here in America, we take our Bible literally, but we don't take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are, those are indicting words. Those are powerful words. Yeah. 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 It sounds, it sounds a lot like what you were, what you were going through and that transformation that you just had was profound. Yeah. That's great. Well, you know, we like to have every show have, uh, an inspire me quote for our listeners to soak in and see how it might inspire them. And I know that you have your Bible uh, patched. You say you have a patchwork of quotes in your Bible that have served to inspire you over the years. Would you share one with us? First of all, picking one quote. I mean, you guys, it's kind of like <laughs> you're sadistic, you know? How you pick one quote? That's, your, age, that's the ticket to that, admission you know? to reinventure me. Come with a quote. <laughs> but there's one from Hudson Taylor that really uh, ministers to me. He says, Many Christians estimate difficulties in light of their own resources and thus attempt little and often fail at the little they do attempt. Mm. All God's giants have been people who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence being with them. And uh, we've taken the nation and broken a man in the mirror ministry that I head up with uh, David Delk. 
we've taken the nation and broken it into 330 regions of about a thousand churches, and then we're populating each of those regions with an area director and uh, eventually other staff. Uh, these men and other Christians that that really do want to be disciples and do want to be disciple makers, I see so often what they are trying to do is they're trying to do this out of their own strength, out of their own, the power of their own will, their own energy. They feel like this is their duty. And the reason I like this quote is that it really points out that, no, what we're doing, you know, we're weak men. You know, if God didn't use flawed men, he wouldn't have any to work with at all, right? So the the idea is, is that we reckon on his power and his presence, you know, to be with us and to make these things happen. You're so right. I mean, in fact, one of the lessons that God's been teaching me in the last six months is that as I start to look at all the things that I want to do, I can find that I, I get in touch with my own personal limitations, and then I start ratcheting down what I think I can do. Mm-hmm. And what God said is, no, I want you to keep your vision big because that causes you to have to trust me. If you're just ratcheting your vision down to the size of who you are, it's going to be a pretty small and uncompelling vision. Yeah. And I think that's exa- that's exactly what Hudson Taylor is talking about. Boy, what an inspiring quote. And you have yeah. set a very big vision for your organization, too. Well, the reason for this is very simple. If the Great Commission is true, our, our plans for most of us, they're not too big, they're too small. No, that's exactly right. And, and so and it, Daniel Burnham uh, said when he was devising Chicago's plan in 1909, he said, make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood. Mm. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> See, I'm trying to work in more I know. Quotes. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to just say, you just keep right going down those quotes. I love everyone. Those are now you, now you can see why I like reading yeah. his books, because you get his wisdom, the application, and then these quotes, yeah. and it's not he's not a guy that's just talking about this stuff. He's actually putting in place in his organization. Right. I, I might have to paint my wall with these quotes. <laughs> Forget putting it on my Bible. <laughs> So, Pat, a little bit about your background here in terms of what you were doing before you started Man in the Mirror, before you even sat down to write that book and to teach that Bible study and to and to go out and make that change. How did that occur to you? Okay, so there are a lot of people that are wondering if maybe they should go into full-time Christian ministry, either paid or volunteer, right? So let me just tell you the story of how it happened for me. This is one person's story. So I was I was bivocational. Now I didn't even I'd never even heard that term until after I left business. But here's what I was doing: I was uh, in in business, a commercial real estate developer. And so after I became a believer, I was tithing my time to ministry, my vocational time. But I loved doing ministry, and so I loved basically when I became a Christian, I was so excited. I couldn't believe that there were, there, were, there were other men out there that didn't know about Jesus. So I started taking all my friends to lunch and telling them about Jesus. Mm. And uh, they started becoming Christians. And then they said, well, well, now what do I do? I said, well, I don't know. Let's get together and talk about it. So we started small groups and Bible study. I had all these things going on. And so 10% became 20, and then 20 became 30 and 40, and then eventually 50. And, and then uh, by 1985, I was spending 80, 90 80 to 90 percent of my time in ministry and, and only you know 10 or 20 percent in commercial real estate god had blessed me with this incredible team of people uh, so so i had the you know i'm the i'm an idea guy 
never met an idea I didn't like. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, so I would do the idea part of it. But, you know, as soon as I had the idea, I kind of lost interest. So I needed some people around me, you know, that would that love to take ideas and build them, develop them and maintain them and so forth. So I had a great team so I could do this ministry. And uh, and then uh, in around 1985, my pastor and I were best buddies. We used to go to a movie and, and lunch uh, every Friday. And so I was just telling him, you know, about my passion for ministry. So he said to me one day in 1985, he said, you know, Pat, you should just sell your business and go into ministry. And I laughed. I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and uh, and then I went, uh, you know, I was already in the middle of this uh, two and a half year period of um, self-examination. I, I really had hit a wall of molasses, <clears throat> but God was speaking to my heart in a big way. So I decided to start a Bible study in uh, uh, February of 1986, started the Bible study, started teaching this material, The Man in the Mirror, and then also wrote the book, The Man in the Mirror, that came out in 1989. So by 1991, I was really spending almost all my time in ministry. But of course, the business was in the tank. The business went in the tank in 86. So from 86 to 91, I'm dealing with uh, lenders and, and investors who uh, none of whom are going to get the full benefit of the bargain anymore. You know, I was a very out loud Christian here in Orlando. So I felt like God was leading me to do everything humanly possible to not go bankrupt. Never had a promise that I wouldn't, but just that I was supposed to do everything humanly possible not to. And, and, and it worked out by God's grace. Oh, I, I, I was able to, to uh, work through all those problems. Well, in the middle of this, as I said, I had my pastor tell me about this thought he had that I should go into the ministry, and I laughed, but I started thinking about that. Well, with the book coming out in 89, and then all these speaking things going on, and then the Bible study, in 1991, I had our controller and general manager for the business putting together the annual business plan, so I went in to meet him. It was January 4th, 1991. And they had been conspiring against me. So, <laughs> so I thought I, I thought I was just coming in to approve a budget, you know, for the year and, and the goals and so forth. But they had been talking between themselves and they said, Pat, we really think you need to step back into the business full time if this is going to be a, a thriving enterprise. And I just felt like I've been, you know, tasered because it was not the direction I really wanted to go. So I was. I just said, well, I'm going to get back to you. And I went home. All these thoughts are going through my mind. But by the time I got home, it was very clear. I either needed to step back into the business, not necessarily full, full time, but mostly full time, or lead business and go ahead and do this ministry that I had increasingly felt that God, God was calling me toward, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. toward ministry, but never to ministry. Mm. And, uh, but I went home and I, I said, Patsy, what do you think? And she said, let's go for it. Well, that's so unpatsy. You know? <laughs> that wasn't what you expected. To hear. I mean, she, she, she's just not, she's just not a person who really comes out with a strong opinion. You, you know, uh-huh. she's just not like that. It was interesting because then I went and told my attorney, cause he was going to, uh, this would mean that he was going to lose, um, you know, the majority of his business. And then I went and told my pastor and then I told my assistant, and then I told the, the office staff, I collected them together that afternoon and told them that I really sensed that God has been leading me to leave business and go into ministry. 
I can't believe it. I mean, most of these people meant this meant dis- nothing but disruption for them. Right. But to a person, they were all so supportive. Mm. I guess they all just could see this coming or something. I'm not sure. Now, guys and gals, here's the thing. If you notice that I just didn't wake up one day and decide to go into ministry uh, from 85 to 91. You know, there's there's a window of time there where this all God had to work in my heart and change my thinking and circumstances as well. And then the final piece is, is that if you think that going into ministry is going to be bliss and glory, here's the deal. When I was in business, about one day a week, if somebody would have come along and offered me $10, I would have given them everything. Mm. I mean, you know, one day a week was just so horrid that uh, I couldn't believe it. Well, now, now that I'm in ministry, guess what? It's two days a week. <laughs> All right. So that's the second point. And then there's a third point in this too. And that is, is that I really thought that when I went into the ministry, that one day I would wake up, look in the mirror, and I didn't think anybody else would ever see this, but I thought I would see the little faint trace of a halo over my head in the mirror. (laughs) I'm still waiting for that. In other words, I thought I was going to become a more holy, sanctified, spiritual person. That is not the case. I am the same guy I was before I went into the ministry. So it takes a long time. Uh, you're going to have two days. If you had one day that wasn't so hot, you're going to have two days that aren't so hot. Mm. And uh, and you're not going to be a different person. You're going to be the same person. That, that, that doesn't mean that you're not going to continue to grow spiritually and become more surrendered to Christ, because you will. But it's not because you're in ministry. Patrick, there's a time when somebody asks you, why does a ministry man in the mirror exist? And I, I want to read your reply back to you because I thought it was amazing. You said, the, the ministry of man in the mirror exists in answer to the prayers of all those wives, mothers, and grandmothers who have for decades been praying for the men in their lives. We keep saying it's about the men, but when I read that, I realized how much it is just as much about the women like you were talking about. And I was really moving for me to read that. What happened in your life that inspired you to launch a ministry on behalf of women like that? So uh, one day as a, a young businessman consumed with ambition and the desire to be successful, to make money, my life philosophy was this. Money will solve my problems and success will make me happy. I mean, that was it. That was my life's philosophy. I was a a materialist, as I said. I was a moral materialist. I was also committed to doing the right thing by every person that I would meet every day. And so I had a disease, let's call it success sickness. Hmm. It's the disease of always wanting more, but then never being happy when you get it. Hmm. And so uh, I hated my life like Solomon. Solomon had, uh, he, he had everything he ever wanted and he hated his life. He said, meaningless, meaningless. And so that was, that was me. And so one morning I was taking my frustrations out on my wife and, uh, saying things to her that a man should never say to a woman. Mm. And, uh, she looked at me and there were these tears rolling down her face and she held my gaze. Uh, uh, it seemed like a brief eternity. And then she asked me this question. She said, Pat, is there anything about me that you like? Mm. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Wow. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Is there anything about me that you like? 
And I was shattered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt like I'd been hit with a cattle prod. I wandered off to the office and spent the rest of the morning looking out the window and thinking to myself, you know, what happened to you, Morley? You wanted your life to count, to make a difference, to be somebody, to do something with your life, mm-hmm. uh, to lead a life of significance. But you're just a, a nobody headed nowhere. And it was really true. Mm-hmm. And so that was the the wake up call, if you will, for me. And it came from a woman. You see, mm-hmm. she had been praying for me. She had been praying for me. And I don't know how many other women have been praying for me, but I know that my wife had been praying for me. And, and I came to faith in Jesus Christ because of the prayers of my wife. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, ground zero. Pat, you've seen a lot of men and probably a lot of women also move from uh, the business world into the ministry world, as you yourself have. What's the biggest mistake that you see them making when they Yes. I, I think the biggest mistake that I have seen people make is moving from one thing, going 100 percent at one thing and then trying to, to move into the next thing and go full tilt there. In other words, I think that there need to be little small experiments. Mm-hmm. You know, if you feel like God is calling you toward ministry, start doing some experiments. If you think you're supposed to teach the Bible, uh, don't quit your job to be a Bible teacher. That I mean, I'm just saying stuff that people are going to think about on their own, probably. But, but just to reiterate, mm-hmm. don't don't do that. You know, start teaching a Bible study at your church and and see if you're connecting with people. If you think you're supposed to be a writer, the way I wrote the Man in the Mirror, okay, I uh, I would get ready uh, for work. I wore a suit to the office, and so I put my suit on, and then I would go. Uh, we had a little building out behind our house. And I had an office there. And so what I would do is I would go out into the little building and I would boot up the computer and I would take my suit coat off. I would drape it over the back of the chair. I would sit down and from 8 a.m. till 10 a.m. I would write. I would turn the computer off, put my coat back on, and then I would go to the office. And I did that for January through August. So I didn't just, you know, throw away everything. Uh, I did, uh, I did an experiment. I did, I did, I wrote the book as an experiment. Think of it as a relay race with a baton that gets passed very slowly. That's uh, really harkens back to your earlier comment about God's less interested in the outcome as he is in the demonstration of faithfulness, right? So when you show you're just faithfully yeah. moving ahead, experimenting, probing. We've talked about this on a number of episodes in the past as well, and starting your new beginning, not just jumping over a cliff, yeah. but taking probes, finding out how God reinforces that in your own life. Are you getting the, the energy from it? Is it drawing you to want to do it more? And, mm-hmm. and those are good signals for an, a good transition. Well, in each episode, uh, Pat, we like to issue a challenge to our listeners. Um, That's our Challenge Me segment, and wondering if you have a specific challenge that you might uh, suggest uh, for our listeners. I do have uh, one for you, and uh, gosh, it's, you, this is tough picking one thing. You, you know, you, <laughs> you did that on the quote at the beginning, and now one thing at the end, my goodness. Sounds like we're challenging but, you. It's a good thing. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you what I think is the greatest lesson that I've ever learned. And then listeners, just see if this doesn't resonate with you. So I was sitting in, in the rubble of my collapsing business one day, and this is the thought that went through my mind. There is a God we want, 
and there is a God who is. They are not the same God. And the turning point of our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. Listeners, does that make sense? Oh. In other words, it just dawned on me one day, you know, Morley, what, what were you thinking? Did you really think that any amount of you wanting to reinvent God in your imagination to be the God that you wanted him to be was going to have one iota of impact on his unchanging nature and character? And it just dawned on me, I, all these years I've been trying to get God to change, but God wanted me to change. And so I realized what I must do, because I am a rebel, as most men are, women, I don't know about you, but most men are rebels. And uh, I must each day come humbly to the foot of the cross and once again make a full, total, complete surrender of my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the deal. What a challenge. Wow. <laughs> All right, we can just pack it up and go home right there. <laughs> I think I'm good with that. <laughs> we got a lot of work me, to do. That's going to take me a few years. <laughs> All right. There will be no more challenges for reinventure me. We're just going to come back to this episode <laughs> and repeat that challenge because that will fit with every episode we have going on right from here on, on out. Right on. You see why I wanted you to meet this? Oh, guy? absolutely. I'm in love. Pat, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we want to just thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to visit with us, to appear on this podcast. And I am looking forward to to your 25th edition book. I'm not going to let it go. <laughs> I don't know where my copy went of the first one, but I am looking forward to that and looking forward to seeing you again soon, my friend. Yeah, you as well. All right. So, Armin, Larry, God bless you both so much. It, it has been an honor to be with you today. Well, it really thank, has. Thanks I've so much, it. Pat. Honor is ours. Thank you. All right. Well, and that's all the time that we have for this episode. We sure hope you enjoyed it. You'll find the show notes at reinventure.me slash 37, as well as link to Pat's website and his new book, The Man in the Mirror. The 25th anniversary edition of that book is going to come out next week on October 7th. You'll want to be sure to pick up a copy of that and go to our show notes and you can get the links right directly to it. And we'd also love to hear from you. Uh, leave us a comment or question on our website at reinventure.me slash 37 or call us at 612 314 Five four four zero. Of course, we always consider it an honor if you rate us on iTunes or Stitcher, and you can reach us at reinventure.me slash iTunes or reinventure.me slash Stitcher. So along with Armin Asadi, this is Larry Gates wishing you a great week, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi.